Hey everybody, hope you're doing well today. It is Wednesday, August 4th. It is 10.30 a.m. And that means it is time for Bible study. And today we are studying Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. So good stuff today. Continuation of last week, Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5 ends with the writer, whoever it is, uh, chastising those who he's writing to, basically saying, you are immature, you are... Uh, you you are only able to drink milk right now. You are infants in the faith. And by now, we were hoping you'd be more mature, but you're not. So uh, Hebrews 6 starts with a continuation of that, which is saying let's it's time to move beyond the basics, is basically what he's saying. So uh, we're just going to jump right in, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, let us go on toward perfection, leaving behind the basic teaching about Christ and not laying Again, the foundation, repentance from dead works and faith toward God, instruction about baptisms, laying out of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So basically what the writer is saying to those who are reading it, those who are listening to it is, it is time for spiritual kindergarten graduation. It is time to move beyond the very first part of faith to move beyond to the next thing. It's time to go to the next thing. It's time to go from milk to solid food. It's time to, it's time to grow. It's time to advance. It's time to, to learn. Uh, and so basically he says, uh, you know, this basic teaching, he said, we need to move beyond this basic teaching, which is, is like saying it's time to go from addition and subtraction to multiplication and division, right? It's time to build on what you already know and to get on to the next thing. And so, um, uh, so he's telling them, you know, the, there's six things here that you should be focusing on, six basics. Um, and the six basics are repentance from, uh, from dead works, faith towards God, instruction about baptisms, laying on of hands, res- resurrection from the dead, and eternal judgment. Those are the six basics you need to master and then we grow from there, right? And so, you know, repentance and faith and baptism and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. If someone were to ask you about each of those things, you should know what those things are, is basically what he's saying. Uh, and so, you know, I think the same is true. Do, do we understand fully enough about each of these six things to have a conversation about them, right? Repentance. What is repentance? You know, the 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 most basic form of repentance, what it means is just to turn around 180 degrees, to go in a different direction, to stop doing one thing and to, to walk away from it, right? And so we stop sinning and we walk towards uh, God's path for our life. Uh, faith, you know, believing in Jesus, believing the God who he is, it, it, Jesus is who he said he was. It, it's not just believing like, oh God, you're up there. I believe you're up there, but it's living a life of faith. Um, baptism, it's understanding the importance and promises of baptism, laying out of hands the way we pray for one another, uh, the way we pray for those who are being, uh, who just, who need prayer and everyone needs prayer, but also for those who are, uh, who, who need to, or, or through, through the laying out of hands, we ordain and we let people know that they are set apart for certain, um, certain parts of the, and work in the church, the resurrection of the dead and then eternal judgment. Uh, so, you know, do we do we truly believe in heaven? What do we believe about heaven? What do we what do we believe about eternal judgment? So, uh, six basics according to uh, the author of Hebrews, and uh, and then okay, next we're gonna go Hebrews three through six, four verses, basically one long sentence, one short sentence, and one long sentence. But this is really um, controversial. There's some heated debates about this. 
So, uh, all right, here we go. Verse three. And we will do this if God permits, for it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away. Since on their own, they are crucifying again the Son of God and are holding him up to contempt. Okay, it is impossible to restore again to repentance. What does that mean? What does that mean? So basically someone repented, right? And then they went back to living the life they were living before their repentance. And it's impossible to restore them again to repentance. What does that mean? So people in the early church, what it meant, and for many it still means, that there's no possibility of restoration once you've been baptized and then commit a significant sin. So what is a significant sin? I don't know. I mean, that's that's for, I, I guess, others to decide, right? The different types of sins. But um, uh, others say, well, no one can lose their salvation. It's not It's not that you can lose your salvation. Uh, Jesus, John chapter 10 uh, verse 28, Jesus says, I give them eternal life and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Uh, Pastor Kathy Baines, uh, I had a, we had a conversation about this once and she just opened my eyes to this. That basically saying that if Jesus has made the promise to you that you're going to be saved, no one can take you out of Jesus's hand. No one can take that away from you. Now, the question is, can you jump out of Jesus's hand? Can, can Jesus say, I've given you this promise, then you jump out of Jesus's hand saying, I don't want it, Right. Um, so, uh, you know, the reality is, and, and this is kind of where most scholars I would say today think is that, um, what this says is that it's impossible to return to repentance. It's not impossible to be saved, right? Does repentance equal salvation? Uh, th- there's nowhere in scripture that, that, that says that specifically. It, it says faith equals, we are saved by grace through faith. Faith equals salvation. But, but, but the question is, can there be faith without repentance? Can there be faith without repentance? Can we have faith without repenting? Uh, the answer, I, I think, I think the answer is we say is well that's up to God. Uh, but but also um, I would say yes. Can there be faith without repentance? Because because faith is something God gives, right? And repentance is something we do. So can there be faith without repentance? Yes, God can give you faith and you not do something with the faith, right? Uh, so, so can there be faith without repentance? Yes, because faith is a gift from God and repentance is something we do. And so I would say, though, that most often uh, faith, this faith that God gives us is leads us into repentance. It leads us into um, transformation, you know, saying, saying to the things we used to do, and that's not me anymore. Um, and, and, and so it's a changing of ways, but, uh, interesting text, interesting text. Um, I would say a lot of people are, most scholars today would say that we need to understand this in the context of Hebrews 6, 1 and 2, which is it's time for spiritual maturity. It's time to put a, put, put aside the ways of the past, right? And, and since this is the book of Hebrews, this is written to first century Jews and, and basically saying you need to move on before you need to move on from your customs and and rituals of Judaism, right? That that have no place in the Christian church. Um, they they don't do any good. There's no there's no point in putting your hope in, in customs and, re- and and rituals of the Jewish faith 
when we are moving on to something new. For instance, like, you know, animal sacrifice. They did, you know, you no, no, you no longer need to sacrifice an animal because Jesus is the Lamb of God, right? And, and so it's time to set aside that stuff and to live into this new reality of what it means to follow Jesus. Um, and this is so weird to me, though. Uh, you know, when you think about animal sacrifice, if you're sacrificing an animal, what you're saying is that Jesus' sacrifice wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough. And so uh, basically you're re-crucifying Jesus every time you do that. Uh, it was a bold statement. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a harsh, harsh uh, criti- um, criticism. And, 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 and so, um, you know, is it when we, when we think... When we think to ourselves, well, I'm not good enough. I haven't done enough. God's not going to love me. I need to go out and do something so that God can love me. You know, we are basically setting aside God's grace and saying, I would rather have a relationship based on what I'm able to do instead of what you've done for me. Uh, it's kind of the same same thought process here. Okay. Ooh, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. Verses 9 through 10. Even though we speak in this way, beloved, we are confident of better things in your case things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust. He will not overlook your work and the love that you showed for his sake in serving the saints as you still do. So after the writer speaks, writes so severely, basically, you know, you're crucifying Jesus again. Look at you putting him back up there on the cross. Look at you nailing, nailing his hands and feet again. Uh, but we're confident that better things in your case uh, that people are, are in your future. Um, it, it asks the question, it begs the question, how do you motivate someone to be more faithful? How do you motivate someone to do more good, right? Uh, do you, do you uh, encourage them? Do you chastise them? Do you scream at them? You know, I mean, do, do you tell them you're crucifying Jesus again? Uh, I, I mean, it's, it, that's basically what what we have here is this incredibly harsh, harsh criticism, right? This chastisement. You are crucifying Jesus again, uh, but but we know, well, we know that uh, better things in your case are coming. So uh, we expect now that because we've said that that you're gonna you're gonna start acting right. It's a difficult line. I mean, when you have children, when you're you know when you're a pastor, whatever. How do you motivate someone to be more faithful? How do you motivate someone to do what is good? How do you motivate someone to follow Jesus's way instead of the ways of the world and all that stuff? Um, I mean, difficult stuff. Uh, and then verse ten, I found incredibly interesting in the context of everything else that has been said. For God is not unjust. He will not overlook your work and the love that you showed for his sake in serving the saints. You know, basically saying, I I know you might feel unworthy, you might feel discouraged, but don't worry, God's not going to forget all the things you've already done, right? You know, do we... Do we stand before God? Do we, do, do we rely on the things we've already done? Well, God must love me because I've already done these things in the past. No, that's, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's, you know, we, our faith means that, you know, our faith is in a God who says you are loved and that I've done everything and, and in a God of grace. And, all. Uh, and so it has nothing to do with our acts today, tomorrow, or yesterday, um, but I do think there's times when we're discouraged and we feel like we've gotten it wrong where we can say, well, in the past, I've gotten it right. I've done some good things in the past and I know I can do those things again. Uh, and so, um, but interesting and an interesting verse specifically in light of the context of the other verses. So, okay, now let's go to, let's talk about promises and oaths verses 13 through 16. 
when God made a promise to Abraham, because no one had greater authority, because no one greater by whom to swear, he swore to himself, saying, I will surely bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently endured, obtained the promise. Human beings, of course, swear by someone greater than themselves, and an oath given as confirmation puts an end to all dispute. Okay. So this is this kind of an interesting thing. So, you know, human beings say occasionally, like, I swear to God, right? Probably shouldn't. We're not supposed to. But um, when you swear to God, you're basically trying your best to make somebody believe what you're saying, right? And so this says, well, there was no one greater by whom to swear. So God swore to God's self saying, so God was, when God was talking to him, he was like, I swear to myself that you are going to be the father of a great multitude. And, uh, and so in doing so, you know, made an oath with Abraham, made a promise. And, um, and basically this saying this, what the promise, what, what, what this is saying here is that when God makes a promise, when God makes an oath, God does not go back on it. God does not go back on it. And so um, in the context of the rest of the chapter, it seems like this answers the question from earlier. Can you, can, you know, can, can you be a believer and saved? And then, you know, through your behavior, uh, God's going to say, no, no I, I no longer want you. Right. That, and, and, and so this is saying, if God makes a promise, God keeps that promise. God keep God if God swears by himself God's not going to go back on that right because then God would have to answer to himself I mean it's it's an interesting way of making the point but the point is true is that if God has made a promise to you if God has made a promise to you God's going to keep that promise plain and simple um, and so uh, I think it's comforting words to hear and then uh, last two verses of the chapter uh, verses 19 and 20. We have this hope, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters the inner shrine behind the curtain where Jesus, a forerunner on our behalf, has entered, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. I love this image of our hope. Our hope is an anchor, an anchor of the soul, right? Uh, you know, and, and we're anchored to something solid, we're anchored to something solid. God is as solid as solid can be. Uh, solid but unseen, right? It's a shrine behind the curtain, right? This Holy Spirit that is with us that, that, that we anchor our life to, we can't see, but we know is there. And we're anchored to some, but, but it's important to understand that you don't anchor for calm seas, right? You anchor for wind and for rough weather and for rain and for all the difficult things that come. And so, you know, we all go through rough times in life, whether it be spiritually or physically or economically or whatever it may be, right? We are, but we are anchored to God. We are anchored to, to the Holy Spirit that is with us. And it's important to know that our hope is an anchor because, because life itself is a rough sea. It's a rough sea. And, and the, the, the Spirit, our hope, is anchored to something uh, solid, something that will not let us down. You know, that that's, goes back to that a promise has been made that God is going to be with us and God is going to get us through. And so anything that challenges our hope is not, is not going to draw us, uh, draw our boat away from God, right? Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Um, but the anchor analogy isn't perfect. It's not perfect because an anchor goes down, right? And it makes us stay in one place. Our anchor, we, I mean, we are anchored in in heaven, which we, we would say is up, and we are on the move. We are going somewhere. We are following Jesus, our forerunner, 
right? Uh, the, the, the Greek word here is uh, prodromos, which is a reconnaissance man for the military, basically someone who's out in front of the army and the army is following. And that's what we're doing with Jesus. We're following Jesus. So we're not anchored in one place where we're not going somewhere. We are on the move. We are going somewhere. As Christians, we are called to follow. Um, and so we are called to go somewhere, but we are anchored in God. Um, not to say that we are anchored in God to stay where we are. We are anchored in God to go through the rough sea, uh, knowing that nothing is going to separate us from God and from our hope. So uh, great chapter. Uh, lots of good stuff in here. I hope that you enjoyed this uh, half as much as I did and uh, that you're all doing very well. And I uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for making this part of your day, for taking the time to listen. And um, we will see you next week with Hebrews chapter six. Let's uh, close with a word of prayer. Uh, good and gracious God, we thank you so much for your promises. We thank you uh, for the hope that we have anchored in you. And as we follow you through life, Lord, help us to stay steady. Help us to stay on the, your path. Help us not to go backwards. Uh, help us not to um, uh, bring back the ways of the uh, of our old um, old self, the, the ways that, that, that draw us from hope and that draw us from faith. Uh, help us to serve others um, and help us to serve you. Uh, as you have uh, served us and love us so much. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everybody, have a wonderful day. I will see you next week.